you hear that banging? <laughs> Somebody. Hey, stop banging! <laughs> stop banging on the fo- on the ceiling or the floor or the wall or whatever it is you're banging on. Okay, there's your outro. Listeners, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. This week we are talking about Pony Boy from the novel The Outsiders. Easy Pony Boy. How are you doing, Todd? I'm well. I'm really excited to talk about The Outsiders. I'm a little tired. I have a newborn still in the house. <laughs> and it, uh, it, it requires uh, some disruptions to the sleep pattern at times. We are in the middle of a giant heat wave, and we don't have air conditioning, and it is hot, hot, hot. So, listeners, we're hot and tired, but we're still going to talk about <laughs> The Outsiders for you. Which, you know, all of that is... I, I, I get the feeling that The Outsiders takes place in a in uh, the, the, some uncomfortable situations for them, so <laughs> we're, we're going to power through our own uncomfortable you know situations. What I ha- you know what I have to say about that? Things What's are that? rough all over. Things are rough all over. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, and your MP3 player. If you have all of those, you could be downloading audiobooks onto them simultaneously. You could download The Outsiders. Yes, you could uh, download The Outsiders because we're going to be talking about Ponyboy from the 1967 novel, The Outsiders, by S.E. Hinton. Uh, some trivia about this. Todd, do you know what the S.E. and S.E. Hinton stands for? I didn't until I saw this note that's written in our document right here. It is Susan Eloise Hinton. And she was encouraged by her publisher to use her initials instead of her name because she was a Sexism. <laughs> because she was a woman writing about a man. Well... Uh, okay, let's be only a tiny bit more fair to whoever the editor was that decided that because she was not she not only was she a woman, but she was a very very young writer yeah. at the time. So, uh next bit of trivia. She started writing this book when she was 15 years old. Do you want to know when she finished it, Andrew? Do you have any guesses how old she was when she finished it? 17, 16. Dang it. But it was published when she was 18. <laughs> she got her she got the contract for the book on graduation day. And it was published when she was a freshman <sighs> in college. Uh and it's done well for her. <laughs> this uh I I saw in a New York Times article, they didn't have what their source was, but it was the New York Times, so going to trust it. They called it the best-selling young adult novel of all time. Really? They should find some way to caveat those yeah. for things that are required reading in junior high. <laughs> that, that, that is definitely a part of it because because there's a lot of those sales are going to junior high classrooms. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a two ninety nine paperback copy, <laughs> but it's a sale. Yeah, um, but yeah, just just uh, circling back, uh, the recommendation from the publisher was that just because of the subject matter and also the protagonist. Particularly, it said, um, for reviewers, reviewers who were going to read the book before uh-huh. the public, they didn't want them to be turned off by having a female's name on the front of the book. I always assumed it was written by a man. That's how, that's how horrible a person I am. Yeah, you're, you're just de facto human is male. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Come on, Todd. Uh, but it's good person. to know that by the 90s, we've gotten past this when J.K. Rowling was publishing Harry Potter. No, wait, never mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> you think maybe it would be a clue at some point to readers that if the, if they use their first initials, that it's probably not. <laughs> Unless there's three of them. Unless there's three of them. Because Tolkien, yeah. Unless there's something we don't know about Tolkien. <laughs> I'm pretty confident after reading The Hobbit. <laughs> That. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien was a man. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, uh, the book is set in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where Hinton grew up. And it is inspired by two gangs from her high school. Do you want to guess what the gangs were referred to as, Todd? The Greasers and the Socias. That is correct. <laughs> so, very true to her life experiences. There's even kind of an urban legend, and again, that New York Times article that I looked at kind of said, this is almost too good to be true, that it, she started writing the book as a prompt in her English class, where she's asked to view the world through the eyes of someone else. Mm, that's not what she says in the book that I read in the okay, interview let, with let, her. Let's get your specific one. Um, she says that she had a friend that was a greaser, and he got roughed up by the socias, and she was really upset about it, and she went home kind of in a fury and wrote it. Because she was mad about what had happened to her friend. Okay, so now I'm starting to doubt this New York Times article that said it was the best best-selling young young adult novel of all time. <laughs> Come on, New York Times, where's your fact checker? Oh. All right, so this uh, book was adapted into a film that was directed by Francis Ford Coppola in 1983, and there was also a short-lived TV series in 1990 called The Outsiders. And uh, but but let's circle back to that film because I just want to give a shout out and kudos to the casting director. Yes. <laughs> Of that film. <laughs> so, uh, the cast, uh, C. Thomas Howe. Let's, let's, uh, he's also in Red Dawn. So we're going to go C. Thomas Red Dawn Howe was Ponyboy Curtis. Uh, we had Matt Dillon. Matt Crash. Matt Crash Dillon is Dallas. Uh, Ralph the Karate Kid Machio is Johnny. Which is, it was just kind of an irony there. <laughs> that Karate Kid played Johnny. <laughs> Sweep the leg! <laughs> Sweep the leg! Oh. Put him in a body bag, Jim. Well, let's just go ahead and say, future subject of the protagonist podcast, Ralph uh, Machio. Yes. Ralph the Karate Kid Machio is Johnny. Uh, Patrick, Dirty Dancing Swayze, let's go with Dirty Dancing for him, is Daryl. Rob, Sam Seaborn. Uh, Low is Soda Pop. Uh, Emilio... Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks. Estevez. <laughs> Emilio Mighty Ducks Estevez is 2-Bit. We've got too many options. What do you do for Tom Cruise? Tom, Mission Impossible Cruise? Sure. Tom Mission Impossible Cruise is Steve, which after Soda, Bit, Soda Pop and 2-Bit, that name feels a little <laughs> a little flat. <laughs> and then uh, Diane Ma-Kent Lane. Is Martha Martha. Kent. Yeah, we, you, got, you really have to emphasize the Martha on that. Diane Martha Kent Lane is Cherry. So a pretty incredible cast for when this was done. And also in the cast, S.E. Hinton has a cameo. Uh, as little spoiler warning, a nurse at a hospital. So now you know there's going to be a hospital involved in the uh, Why even bother reading it now? <laughs> and uh, we, we mentioned that this is one of the best-selling young adult, if not the best-selling young adult novels of all time. It is also among the most challenged books in America that try to get banned from libraries. Um, the American Library Association always puts out lists of books that are being challenged. This one is always on it because of underage drinking, smoking, and general violence. I know that when I read it in seventh grade, I just wanted to go out and buy a pack. <laughs> just glamorize. It was just so glamorous. It was so glamorous. I thought, man, if I could only be live the life of Pony Boy, then I would really have made it. Well, we did try and run away to that abandoned church, Todd. So. <laughs> 
If you haven't read this book, these jokes aren't landing. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, go back and listen after we've done our plot summary. Go back and listen to those jokes. All right. Uh, listeners, please don't forget to take advantage of great deals from Amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash deals or the best way of all, making your purchases through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. And when you do that, it looks like Amazon, but and it costs the same to you, but we get a little bit of money from Amazon for you doing that. Todd, before we get to these synopses, how did you come to The Outsiders? Seventh grade English. Yep, baby. me too. <laughs> were we, were we in the same too. class? I'm trying to remember if we had the actual same class. Or I don't remember. Was, was, it, was it Mrs. Atwood? Was that her name? Was this the English classroom that was split where... <laughs> No, 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 no. Cause that was later. That was like in uh, eighth grade or ninth grade. This was seventh grade. We were, I was out in the trailers. Oh, I wasn't, I don't think it was in the trailers for English. So the, I may have had a mild crush on the teacher of this, uh, the seventh grade English class, if I'm remembering correctly. But I always uh, thought that was a thing that didn't really happen, Todd. Um, no, it <laughs> definitely happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, it definitely that was happened. just a trope. A fiction. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that for me. I'll tell you, I remember well, some, Todd, the only I, thing I, I remember I, about this is that we were, um, we were doing something. We were talking about like our favorite things that started with letters and it got to the letter G and she held up a picture of Mel Gibson. <laughs> this like, this like great nineties picture of Mel Gibson. And she was like, this is my favorite letter G. <laughs> and then my heart was crushed because then I knew. Well, Todd, I could just say from the stories you've told so far, we did not have the same English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. But yeah, absolutely for me, it was seventh grade English. I, and I'm pretty sure we watched the movie in class. Did you watch the movie in your class? You know what? I don't think that we did. And honestly, I don't know if I read more than the first third of this book because I don't remember. I mean, I remember so vividly like meeting Cherry and everything that happens at the beginning. And I had no recollection of what happened at the end. I was, I was just in suspense. I didn't, I had no idea what was going to happen. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? The whole time I was reading this. So I did not, it did not stick with me. Okay, because I have vivid memories of some of the film. Like, I remember Emilio Estevez wearing a Mickey Mouse t-shirt and laughing at the TV. Absolutely. <laughs> while eating some, some cereal. Uh, and I remember a few other moments, but I had a silver thing where, like, I was like, I know someone, a uh, spoiler warning, dies, <laughs> but I don't remember who <laughs> or how. Gosh, <laughs> Joe, like... you're just ruining this whole thing. <laughs> so, I also read it at Lake Ridge Junior High. <laughs> yes, same, same uh, junior high school producer. Go Leopard. And... and and then I think we watched a movie, and I basically forgot about it until I was in a plasma center donating my plasma slash selling my plasma because I was a college student at the time. Right. And this was on. And I just, like, was thinking back, I think I didn't like this, but this is great. Like, <laughs> like the nostalgia for having consumed this in the past by force <laughs> was a great experience while I watched that movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the other moment from the movie that for some reason I just remember is uh, Ponyboy and Cherry at the drive-in walking to go get the the refreshments. Like, for some reason, that the way that was shot by Francis Ford Coppola, that stuck in my mind. But nothing, like, very little else of the plot was really hardwired into me as I was reading the book this time. Yeah, for me, it was, there's a feeling about this book that stuck with me forever. Like, every time I think about this book, there's a... I have images in my mind of of I can picture who the greasers, greasers are and who the socias are, and I can picture Pony Boy, and he doesn't look anything like the film, which is why I'm pretty sure I'd never seen the film. 
But then if you had asked me about what the plot was, I would have just said exactly what you said. It's about the greasers and the socias and they hate each other and they fight a lot. And there's a guy named Pony Boy and they say cool things like easy soda pop. <laughs> that's like, that's all I remember. And they, they carry switchblades and they smoke and drink a lot. Well, we should go ahead and mention that this particular episode is actually a request from a patron, from patron John. Uh, and when he requested this, he told me he wanted us to do this book because this was the first assigned reading where he remembered, like, literally not stopping reading because he needed to know what happened next to the huh. characters. <laughs> and I think that's, th- this captures a lot of, y- 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 like, the specifics of this and the greasers and the socials and the fighting and all of that, that's all very unique and specific, but like the angsty feelings of not belonging and uh, like having a group that you're comfortable with, but you also feel like you're the outside of the group. And there's the cute girl that you like, but you don't know (laughs) if if you like, like her or, you know, all those other things. Like that's just being a teenager, I I think. And so there's something universal about this, even as the specificity of the greasers and socials and fighting in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1960s, um, you know, that's that's its own thing, but there that feeling that you were describing, Todd, and uh, that that kind of permeates this. I think is it fits into a lot of adolescence. Yeah. That is one of the reasons why this is still a successful young adult novel today. I agree. We're ready to dive into this long yes, synopsis. I, th- I think you already did the uh, short synopsis, so why don't we just go ahead into the long one? Okay, spoiler horn is being blown. Uh, this book begins with the line. When I stepped out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I had only two things on my mind, Paul Newman and a ride home. (laughs) Something really great about that. Um, Okay, so the narrator of this story is Ponyboy Ponyboy Curtis, and Ponyboy is his real name. It's on his birth certificate. He is a greaser. He's smart and thoughtful, and he's loyal to his gang. He's also an orphan and lives with his two older brothers, Derry and Soda Pop. After he leaves the movie theater, he's nearly mugged by some of the Soshas, who are rich kids from the good side of town. And this, the word Soshas comes from, like, social. It's spelled S-O-C-S. And if you only ever read it, it sounds like, it looks like socks. But and it's you read really it as socks. socks. And you need your English teacher to say, by the way, this word looks like socks, but it's pronounced Soshas. Could, yes. they, just, could they just do a reprint on that? <laughs> like, adjust it in the How next How would you spell printing? it? S-O... C H E S so no that becomes like Sochi Olympics Sochi's maybe S O C I E S S O S H this is good audio if it's S O C I E S then it says Sochi's S O S H so do you really do you do you do any of us believe that S.E. Hinton did not spend a significant amount of time <laughs> wondering how in the world did I spell this say, thing? Hey, about this. <laughs> yeah, and then she it's probably did the point. same thing. Okay, how would you have me spell it? And the editor went, um, "Okay, we'll just leave it as it is." Okay, so after he leaves the movie theater, he's nearly mugged by some of the socias uh, who are rich kids from the other from the good side of town. Uh, but his brothers and their friends come and they save him. Next night, Pony Boy and his friends Dally and Johnny go to the drive-in movie where they meet a couple of Soch girls named Cherry and Marsha. I love the names in this in this book. Um, I, I should just mention that Dally is like hardcore criminal. He's spent time in jail. He's like maybe 17 years old. Pony Boy is 14. Specifically 17 years old. Uh, Dally is 17. Johnny is 16. Um, and Dally is he's a criminal like he's a he's a rough mean hardened guy johnny is um he's 
basically abused by his alcoholic father and he was beat up really bad by the Soches um, one time. And so he's kind of scared and he's sort of like the, the little puppy, like a they call him the puppy. pet of the group, <laughs> the pet of the group. Yes. So they meet Cherry and Marsha. Cherry is really nice and she and pony boy hit it off. Great. Dally's being a total jerk to the girls, but the minor mild mannered Johnny tells him to leave them alone. Uh, he does, and then Ponyboy, Johnny, Cherry, and Marsha up, end up having this kind of double date. Uh, and when it's over, the boys offer to walk the girls home. Ponyboy tells Cherry that he thinks his oldest brother, Derry, hates him, and he wishes he could get rid of him. Uh, that Derry, Derry wishes that he could get rid of Ponyboy. Uh, this shocks Ponyboy's other friends, who can see how much Derry actually loves Ponyboy. Uh, Cherry and Ponyboy Boy have this uh, in-depth discussion about social classes. And they realize that they both like watching the sunset and reading. And they decide that uh, the Soshas are cool and aloof and they feel too little while the Greasers are hot-headed and they feel everything too much. Pony and Johnny end up staying out late talking. And when Pony gets home, Derry is furious for, be- for being out late and coming home after a curfew. He yells at Ponyboy and actually slaps him. Ponyboy runs out of the house into an abandoned lot and tells Johnny he wants to run away. But then they think better of it and decide to just go to the park so Pony can cool off before he goes home. But there's trouble in the park. Some Soshas drive up in a blue Mustang and they attack the two young greasers. Johnny had been beaten badly by the Soshas earlier. And um, so he's pretty terrified, but he also carries a switchblade with him as for protection. Uh, one of the Soshas grabs Ponyboy and shoves his head into this freezing cold water fountain. And Ponyboy's drowning. He's going to die. Uh, or he thinks he's going to die, and then the Soshas just leave, and they leave because Johnny has stabbed and killed one of them, uh, saving Ponyboy's life. Um, it turns out that the the Sosh that was killed is, his name is Bob, and he is Cherry's boyfriend. No, he wasn't the one that was killed, was he? Yeah, Bob was killed. No, but Cherry's boyfriend was was the... No, Randy, Randy is Marsha's boyfriend, Oh, and Mar- okay. Bob is Cherry's boyfriend. <gasps> Okay, edit Come on, Andrew. man. Get it right. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Now, Ponyboy and Johnny are fugitives. They find their friend Dally, uh, who used to live in New York, and he's a super tough, very dishonest kid. Uh, he gives them a gun and some money, and he tells them an, about an abandoned church in another town where they can hide out. So they run away, they make it to the church, and they crash. They're totally exhausted. They spend five days holed up there. Uh, surviving on bologna sandwiches and staying busy by smoking, reading, gone with the wind, and playing poker. They cut their hair. They're and, tough touch, such tough guys. Yeah, <laughs> Pony Boy bleaches his hair. Uh, but they also, um, they just watch the sunsets and they talk a lot. At one point, Pony Boy recites a Robert Frost poem for Johnny, which says this. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. And they're like, I don't really understand it, but it's nice. (laughs) Uh, Then Dally comes by the church, and he tells them that the police are looking for them in Texas, so they should be safe. Uh, And he takes them into town, he feeds them, and he tells them that there is all-out warfare now between the Greasers and the Soshas, the fight's all over town. And he tells them that Cherry, uh, Cherry Valance is working as a spy for the Greasers. Then, out of the blue, Johnny announces that he wants to turn himself in. Uh, Pony will get off easy because he's only 14 and he was being attacked. Uh, Johnny will probably get off easy because he was acting in self-defense and Pony and Cherry can testify for him. 
So they head back to their to get their stuff at the church, but when they get there, it's engulfed in flames. Um, there's a crowd that's gathered around, and there are some little kids that are trapped inside the church. So Pony and Johnny rush in to save the kids, and while they're getting out, Pony gets out, uh, but Johnny gets trapped, and a beam falls on top of him. Uh, but Dally jumps in and saves him, so Dally saves Johnny. And then they all have to get rushed to the hospital, and then Derry and Soda Pop show up, and then Pony realizes that Derry really does love him, and that his tough exterior is just because he's scared to lose Pony like he lost their parents. So Dally has a burned arm, and Johnny has a broken back, and he's paralyzed, and he's in intensive care, and it's not looking good for him. Uh, Pony Boy and his brothers uh, leave the hospital to go rest at their house. In the morning, Tubit and Steve, a couple of the other greasers, come by the house. Uh, Derry and Soda have to go to work, so Pony Boy hangs out with Tubit. They stop at a gas station before going to a movie. The Blue Mustang has followed them there. Uh, Tubit reminds the Soshas that there's a truce before the big rumble because they've they're they're planning this huge uh, big rumble big uh, fight between the two gangs. Um, and Randy, who's one of the Soshas, um, and he was Bob's best friend, he says he just wants to talk to Pony Boy. So they go and they get in this car, and they talk. And Randy says he's not going to the rumble because he's tired of the fighting. He's thinking about running away. And he also tells Pony Boy that Bob, the dead boy that was Cherry's boyfriend, was actually a good guy. Uh, but that his parents had never told him no. And Pony Boy is reminded of something that Cherry told him, um, which is that it's rough all over. That everybody's life is hard. Um, and when Randy leaves, Pony Boy tells Tubit that he's not a so, she's just a guy. And so it seems like Pony Boy is kind of coming to some revelations about people in class and stuff. The kind of things yeah. that you would want your seventh your seventh grade English class to, to be thinking about. Maybe they should know it's rough all over. It's rough all over. Uh, later, Pony Boy and 2-Bit go to visit Johnny in the hospital. He's conscious, but he's still in really bad shape. Um, then they visit Dally, um, and he asks 2-Bit for his switchblade, and then he puts it under his pillow. Uh, then to- Pony Boy and 2-Bit head home, but on the way they meet Cherry, and she tells them that the Soshas are willing to, to agree to a fair fight with no weapons. So, like, they're kind of kind of like they're done with the killing they don't want to kill each other they just want to beat each other to a pulp (laughs) (laughs) and she also tells pony boy that she won't go and see johnny because he killed her boyfriend and they argue for a little bit but then they find some peace in the fact that they both uh still enjoy the sunsets from each of their respective sides of town uh that night is the rumble the greasers all meet up at pony boy's house and then they head over to the vacant lot together um there they meet up with some other greasers from another neighborhood then the socias show up and then uh, Derry and a big so start the fighting, and everyone else jumps in. Uh, and then Dally shows up. He it turns out he had escaped from the hospital by threatening a nurse with two bit switchblade, <laughs> and escaped from the hospital. And they have a big fight, and the greasers win. And then Dally throws Pony Boy into his car, and they rush to the hospital because Johnny is dying. Uh, they make it there just in time to tell Johnny that they've won the fight, uh, but Johnny tells them that fighting is useless. And then he mumbles. Stay gold, pony boy. Stay gold. And then he dies. Uh, Dally runs out of the hospital in a panic because he loved Johnny, and uh, it, apparently Johnny is the only thing that, uh, that Dally ever loved. Pony boy walks out of the hospital in a fog, and he wanders around town for a little bit. And he's also in a fog because he's, like, really sick, and he has had his head kicked in. He was concussed. <laughs> <laughs> um, he finally makes his way home. The gang is there. They're all nursing their wounds from the fight. Pony Boy tells him about Johnny's death. Then Dally calls and tells Derry that he has just robbed a store and needs uh, and needs them to pick him up and hide him because the, the cops are on his tail. 
So they run out into the vacant lot uh, to pick up Dally, but when he gets there, the cops are right on top of him. He turns around and pulls out a gun and faces the police, and they shoot him. Uh, he's dead before he hits the ground. It's all too much for Pony Boy, and he passes out. He's unconscious for several days as his body recovers from the shock and the trauma and the fever, and when he wakes up, Soda Pop and Derry are with him. And then uh, a week later, he's still bedridden. Uh, and Randy, the Soshu, was in the fight uh, when Johnny killed Bob. Uh, he comes by to visit Pony a week later. Um, the next day, they're all supposed to go to court. And so Randy tells Pony not to worry because it was Johnny who killed Bob, not him. But then Pony Boy flips out and tells Randy that he had killed Bob and that Johnny is innocent and that he's not dead. Um, so Pony Boy's kind of, he's losing it. He's not in touch with reality at the moment. No. And Derry asks Randy to leave and please don't talk about Johnny to, to, uh, to Pony Boy. So the court date comes and Pony Boy goes to see the judge. He hears everyone testify that Johnny killed Bob and that it was self-defense. And he's eager to tell his side of the story. But when he gets to speak to the judge, he isn't questioned about the killing at all. Uh, he's only asked if he's happy living with his brothers. And that's it. So Pony Boy's life after this just tanks. Um, he's struggling in school. He's forgetful. He gets becomes more violent. He's always arguing with Derry. Uh, but then one day Soda Pop flips out and tells them to stop fighting because it's tearing him apart. Uh, so they make up. And then Pony Boy is facing failure in his English class if he can't do something great uh, for his final paper. So he tries to write about a couple of different things, but nothing's really coming to him. And then he picks up a copy of Gone with the Wind uh, that Johnny left him before he died. Uh, and out falls a letter that Johnny had written that tells Pony Boy that he knew he was going to die, uh, that he was at peace with it, that it was worth saving the life of those kids. And he also tells him that now he understands the Robert Frost poem about nothing gold can stay. So Pony Boy is touched by this. He realizes that he wants to tell the world the story of his friends. So he sits down and writes. And the opening line is, when I stepped out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I had only two things on my mind. Paul Newman, and a ride home. The end. Good summary, Todd. Thank you. Uh, it's a good story. It is. So there's like an act in there that isn't in the film. Now that I'm thinking about it. I have not seen the film. I, I don't remember enough. I so, checked it out from like the library the, today, but I also had to read the whole entire book today, so I didn't get the chance to. The, <laughs> but the, as our patron John said, you can do that with this yeah. book. Yes, the, you can. The book that we read the in one sitting. court segment after Dally dies. The, the kind of denouement. Yeah. That doesn't happen. Okay. But it's, I don't think the, like, the trial and the court stuff is really brought up that much, so. It's not but that critical I could be to wrong. the story. I could be wrong. No, it's mostly there to but add I think they, some tension about, is Ponyboy going to lose his family? Like, yeah. With his and I don't think they bring that into play in the film. I think it, like, Dally gets shot, which is, like, a really intense sequence, and he's, like, and he's running, you know, through the streets and everything, and he's got the gun, and then... I guess he gets the letter, and then he just starts writing it down. I don't think he, oh. they even have, like, the school stuff. Okay. But I'm not sure. You I'm know, not between, It's been a little while. Between hiding from the police in an abandoned church for a week, and then coming back... And eating and bologna be- sandwich. Can you imagine eating bologna sandwiches for a week? Let's just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is your only sustenance. <laughs> that thought makes and me your sick only entertainment is, is poker with the same person and reading Gone with the Wind aloud. And watching the sunset. And smoking. But the sunset sets everywhere, just like there's trouble all around, Todd. The That's sunset, true. Uh, sunset's everywhere. So what do you think about Pony Boy? Hello? 
<laughs> I was just, he just, was thinking. I saw just, his thinking just, face. Just, just gathering my thoughts. Um, in some ways, well, okay. He's not the stereotypical greaser, right? Mm-hmm. So, so he's kind of, he's giving us this eye, the, these eyes into this world. As readers, we're being introduced to the world of the greasers and we're seeing the world through their point of view. But at the same time, he's like different in a number of ways. So he's not as violent as the more violent members of the greasers. He's definitely more intellectually inclined. Mm-hmm. Like, um, most of the greasers we're told are dropouts and kind of, yeah, I mean, they, they are just juvenile delinquents and you would assume he is that, but you find out he's actually doing really well in school. <laughs> Uh, and that he likes reading. He likes, uh, he, he's on the track team and he's, he's like heading to being a star on the track team. So he's actually engaged with school activities as well. Uh, so he's our eyes into the world, but he's also separate from that. He also has friends. I mean, he has friends at the school that aren't greasers or socias. And I thought that was interesting. It was something that I, um, that I hadn't picked up on when I read this in seventh grade. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, <laughs> but at the end, when he's super sick, he says that. Friends came and visited him from school that weren't part of really part of this at all. They were just regular middle class kids, and I thought, I don't know, that stood out to me for some reason when I read it today. Like, because maybe I don't know, maybe I was those kids. I certainly wasn't a greaser or a soch. <laughs> we, I mean, where we grew up, it's no Tulsa in the nineteen sixties, Todd. That's true. <laughs> but, um, but I feel, I mean, I guess I feel like, I feel like Pony Boy is very likable and that he's, he's fleshed out enough that he feels like a real person and he feels like the kind of person that I think it would be cool to hang out with if he yeah. was, you know, small and, or in a huge fight <laughs> or standing or standing over a dead body in the or park. Stand, yeah. <laughs> but just like as a human being, he's, he seems like the kind of person that I would want to hang out with. And that's cool. Yeah. And, um, you said he seems real. And I think there's something that adds reality to characters is that there can be contradictions within them. And I think that's definitely there with pony. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, some of that is like his, his own deliberate contradiction of his, uh, like performative self versus his internal self. Mm-hmm. And the way this novel is structured and narrated, we see all of the internal self, and it doesn't align with that external self that he's projecting out onto the world. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's so... The, I, I have this feeling every once in a while reading this novel where I think, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when they go out for the rumble at the end and Derry's there. And it's like, man, if you get caught, you lose custody over your brothers. And that's the end of your life. And you're willing to risk all of that just to go, like, knock some heads? Like, you're an idiot. <laughs> but he's not an idiot. He's, he's like, a, a good, hardworking kid that's trying, you know, trying his best. But, man, these boys do not make the best life choices. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the understatement of the century, but, man. So talking about um, the fact that they seem real, the family situation that Ponyboy is living in, Seems real, and also where Johnny's coming from, yeah. uh, like all of those resonate. So, Ponyboy, his parents died. Uh, Daryl, his older brother, oldest brother, was it, like a high school quarterback star, 
earned an athletic scholarship, but it wasn't going to pay enough that he could just go to college. And then when his, his parents died, that was no longer an option. And, um, Ponyboy is all the time talking about how he's like growing old before his time. Like he's only like 20, 21, right? He's 20. 20. Um, but he's working all these hard jobs because now he is the provider for his two younger brothers, Soda Pop and Pony. And then Soda Pop has already dropped out and started working full time as well. And it seems like Daryl and Soda Pop are both like mortgaging their futures for Pony Boy. Yeah. There's a lot of crying in this book. A lot. <laughs> and every time it happens, they're like, we don't do this. <laughs> I never do this in front of these people. I never do this myself. I never <laughs> like it when, there's always like a caveat that's being given about the crying. Yeah. Did that I don't know. I it reached a point towards the end of the book where I was like I don't even think that real people in this situation would cry this much. Well, I mean, friend just died. <laughs> Yeah, in, in a broken home that's falling apart around your ears. I think a you're allowed. There was a alone. lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> but I think also, uh, I mean, I made a joke about like how there's always the caveat about we don't do this even as it's happening. I think that's something that kind of is a theme of the book is like our idea of what it is that we do versus what we really do. Or our idea of what yeah. we want people to think we really do versus our actual selves. Yeah. There's also the other thing that I noticed that I really liked about this is... Um, there's a sweetness. I mean, there's this hard edge that you, that I think about when I when I think about the outsiders. I think about you know easy soda pop and like switchblades and. All right, how much of this is also you conflating uh, West Side Story? Like, gotta stay cool, boy. Totally. <laughs> totally. Which between between this and we watched West Side Story in high school, but that was after Tonight. we read Romeo and Juliet. Oh yeah, you can totally hear yeah. like. <laughs> You know, the whole, like, the uh, the medley that they sing before the big rumble? Like, I totally see that. But I but I have in my mind this, um, this feeling about this book that's very dark and hard. And you think about these, you know, these, these hard boys that are, uh, they're drinking and they're smoking and they're engaged in fights and violence and stuff. Uh, but there's such sweetness also um, in the way that they treat each other, the way that they treat Johnny. Um, the way that, uh, dairy and soda pop, especially treat uh pony when he's sick. Um, there's something really like tender in their relationships with each other that I really like. And even amongst the greasers where they, there's like the separation where they say like, well, um, Dallas is like, he's the hard, <laughs> like he's the criminal. The rest of us are kind of just delinquents. Right. Um, but when they need help instantly, Dallas gives them everything that he can. Yeah. yeah. And he takes care of them. And they're like, we know because of our situation after, uh, Johnny killed the guy, the Soch, we need help. Well, Dally's, Dally's gonna be the only one that can help us. They go to him and there's like no question about it. This is just what you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so even as there's this, uh, hard edge and this criminality and this, uh, you know, lack of sophistication about them all, like there's just also this extreme loyalty. Yeah. But, it's, but I was going to say, uh, just circling back real quick, I, I joked about us in junior high reading Romeo and Juliet and The Outsiders, and we watched West Side Story, I think, after we read Romeo yeah, and Juliet. that was ninth what, grade. What is our conception of love? <laughs> 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 like, what are we teaching adolescents that love is? 
Between <laughs> these, like, Ponyboy falling for a cherry, but she can't even acknowledge him at school because of their social class differences, and then Romeo and Juliet, and yeah, it's just... Yeah, but I don't, I, I don't know, I didn't read that relationship as weird, or, I mean, she's totally out of his league, she's way older than he is. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying, like, weird, but just, like, this... This idea of adolescent love is it all these stories end in tragedy. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't I I don't even read it as love in that sense. I don't really read it as oh, ro- think, romantic love. I think Ponyboy's fallen for Cherry. Like he's know. instantly I think de- he has a, jealous I think he has of a Dallas. Crush. I think he might have a crush on her, but I don't think that's the same thing as saying that he's in love with her. Well, I mean, if we're comparing this to Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Like they do a lot for a crush, right? But I'm. But what I'm saying is, I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think we're talking about the same thing at all. I don't think that his feelings for Cherry are in the same universe as the feelings that Romeo has for Juliet. And I, well, I'm also saying that Romeo and Juliet don't have a mature love either. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it, but it's like an intense, erotic, romantic love, and the what he feels for her is never about romance or. Or any kind of physical relationship. It's just that he feels an emotional connection to her that that is that gives him a feeling of peace and helps him to process what's going on in his world. Um, it's a way more believable relationship than Romeo and Juliet, that's for certain. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like if if he was gonna choose, like as the fourteen year old that he is, like who is it that you like? Like when you're having a late conversation with his brother or whatever, he would say Cherry. Like that is uh, the girl yeah. that he has crush on. Sure. But I but I just I don't see that as I don't know. I just I, I, I see it as something really different than you know. But it's different. Uh, she like does teach the torches to burn brightly. I but uh, yeah, it's kind of odd because it's it's different in that it's simultaneously not as intense as Romeo and Juliet have, but it's also more real far than deeper. Romeo and Juliet have. It's far deeper and more real, I would say. Yeah, without hesitation. It's a it's a more mature relationship. Um, and, you know, there's potential for, I, I mean, I guess, it, in some ways, there's no potential for this relationship because of the class situation. Well, and also um, because her boyfriend got killed by his best friend. It's hard to come back from that. As a starting point for a romantic relationship. <laughs> yeah, but but at the same time, there's there's something there's substance to what they have between each other, and oh, absolutely, and I that substance more... feels more real than what you get with Romeo and Juliet. And I th- I would say from what we're told of her relationship with her boyfriend who dies that she had a more honest emotional conversation with Ponyboy the night they met. Than she's ever had with, uh, what's the guy that gets killed? Rob. Bob. 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 <laughs> that she ever had with Bob. Rob, you're thinking Rob Lowe. That's Steve. Right. That's Steve. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob is Steve. Bob is. Is not Rob. Is not Rob. Um, although it's interesting to point out that she says, uh, she and Randy both say that Bob's not a bad guy. That Bob's actually, he's, he's a pretty good guy. And a really a, a real human being, and that the reason why he's messed up is because of his parents um, and bad parenting. Which is, what do you make of that? When Randy that- says it's because his parents never told him no, and he just pushed and pushed and pushed, uh, begging for them to put some limits on him, and they never did, and that's why he's dead today. That is something I believe a 16-year-old wrote. 
<laughs> I mean, in some ways, it, uh, when I think of Bob, not Rob, but Bob, I also think of from an earlier episode of our podcast. We got Bob, Rob, Dally, Derry, Dallas, Darren. <laughs> um, but our early episode of our podcast, Veronica Mars, and uh-huh. the relationship between uh, what are they called, the Old Niners, which is the the rich kids, the Soches, and then there's the uh, what's the motorcycle game called again? I can't remember now. I don't know, bit. but it we it bears pointing out that um, Veronica Mars explicitly cites the Outsiders. Yes, and in the re- pilot. And calls uh, Wallace Soda Pop, right? She says, easy Soda Pop, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the way uh, Logan acts in Veronica Mars is, uh, like, as a fully fleshed out character in that series, but it reminded me a lot of what is described about Bob. And yeah. for me, in Veronica Mars, all that works, even if it feels a little bit like a cop-out <laughs> in Outsiders. Um, I hate the- Logan. Yeah, yeah, but 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 you can see the way he is because of his parents, right? Yes. Like he's given everything. There's no limits, and he turns out bad. <laughs> like yeah. that's not a good combination to have the world at your fingertips when you're an adolescent and have poor decision making skills, and have your parents covering up the consequences for you. I remember when my when my oldest kids were tiny, and we were trying to figure out how to be parents initially. I mean, we're well, still, I'm glad you figured it out. We're still trying to figure out how to be parents, but, but initially, especially, and, and, and knowing that they had special needs, um, just amplified all of that. And so we're reading all these kinds of books and we were in the Bay area. So there was no shortage of new age, like, <laughs> uh, philosophies about how to raise your kids. And I remember one day my wife said that she had read this thing and it said, you should never, your children should never, ever, ever hear the word no come from out of your mouth. Because, because every time a child hears the word no, there's a part, a tiny part of their brain that dies. This is really a book, like a parenting book that said this. Uh-huh. Every time you say the word no uh-huh. to your child, you're killing their brain cells. I'm I, like, I want to challenge the responsibility of the publishing house. <laughs> like my hackles like are that's amazing. Ir- <laughs> that's, that's irresponsible to publish. So to you don't say, you don't say no, you redirect. So if you don't want them to do something, you don't say, don't do that thing. You say, go and do this other thing. And you try to redirect them, but don't ever say the word no, because you're actually literally killing their brains. <laughs> and, if they're about to touch the hot stove, Say, please go play outside right now. Yes. <laughs> In that moment. Don't, yeah, don't yell no at think, them and uh, make them freeze. <laughs> I think that Bob's parents probably had read this book. <laughs> we're big into redirecting. <laughs> yeah, they, they were really, uh, at least they didn't do anything to kill his brain. <laughs> but you should redirect away from drowning. <laughs> other human beings. Yes. From, from drowning other human beings. Anybody yeah. and uh, anything. But specifically your high school classmates probably yeah. shouldn't be drowning them. <laughs> Yeah, but drinking. I, I think probably you could redirect away from drinking. Uh, you could redirect away from, uh, yeah, causing bodily harm to your classmates. But at the same time, we have, uh, so, like, those are markers of the irresponsibility of the, the socials, but, uh, like, Dally, or uh, Ponyboy, when he's in the hospital, he's like he starts smoking on the way to the hospital, and this adult is, like, horrified, like, why are you smoking? He's like, why wouldn't I? Like, it yeah. just doesn't even It doesn't even dawn on him. That... Well, and you already addressed the irresponsibility of his brother, you know, getting involved in things that, like, if caught, 
means you don't have custody of even your two as siblings. he's like sacrificing his time and body and everything to keep his family together. Mm-hmm. He's willing to go get into this brawl where if yeah. police come, he's going to lose. Yeah, I think Derry is a really interesting character because because of that. Because on the one hand, he seems so disciplined and um, and so willing to sacrifice so many things for the sake of his family, and yet he's willing to throw it all away on, you know, like, what? It, it, and, and Ponyboy even goes through when the rumble's about to start, and he says, Soda Pop, do you like, uh, do you like fighting? Do you like rumbling? And Soda Pop goes, yeah, sure. Um, because, uh, and they all give their reasons, right? So one of them does it because it's fun. One of them does it because everybody else is doing it. One of it does it because he's kind of mad at the world. And Derry does it for the same reason that he played football, because he just likes the competition. And it's like, that's kind of a, it's kind of a messed up reason to put your whole <laughs> existence at stake because it's a game to you. I don't know. And when he's squaring off with the, uh, the big Soch that's there, it's 100% just like back on the football field. Yeah. Um, but it makes me think about there's, it seems like there is, oh, wait, nope, the thought's gone. I literally don't know what was supposed to come out of my mouth next. It was good, though. <laughs> like, I had a thought when you were saying something, and I was like, oh, this is going to carry us for five minutes. What was it? <laughs> I hope it comes back. It was, uh, what were you we just talking about? Help me fire it. <laughs> uh, dairy, irresponsible, uh, Bob's parents saying no, killing your children's blood or brain cells by telling them no. <laughs> oh, oh man, this was gonna be good too. I mean, this is gonna be like, let's submit this for the awards. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you say you're a little sleep deprived. <laughs> oh, it's been a long week. <laughs> I mean, I love my family. How do I love my small child? And, uh, what, where, where did we even just land? What was I segueing us out we of? We were talking about away we were talking from about Bob and his parents, and did his parents make him be what he was? And Andrew said that's okay. totally something that a sixteen-year-old would say. <laughs> that's just like ten. Yeah, then we talked about, talk about football and competition. competition. We talked about why they fight. Irresponsibility. And we talked about uh, parents that. Oh, okay. I, I, I think <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Is, um, do you think Daryl going to this fight is out of loyalty to, I mean, you said it's competition, but it's also out of loyalty to the other greasers? Yeah, I think so. Cause I think there's also, I mean, there's a lot of bad decisions that are made because of loyalty. Yes. <laughs> in this book. Um, and one of them that I had no memory of at all is Soda Pop and his girlfriend. Yes, I didn't remember that at all. And you know what? In seventh grade, I don't think I would have picked up on it. No, because they don't say what it is. So Soda Pop has this girlfriend that he wants to work hard enough that when his girlfriend graduates from co- from high school, they can get married. Uh, that that Soda Pop will have enough money. Soda Pop is sixteen years married, old. and he's just yeah, and he's madly in love with this girl. But he's now he's dropped out, he's a high school dropout, but he's working full time. And one of the reasons he's working full time is that he wants to marry this girl. So the same week that Pony Boy goes on the run on the lamb with Johnny and ends up at the abandoned church, uh, you know, one train ride north or away from the city where they're at. Uh, we find out later that Soda Pop's girlfriend left and has gone to Florida. And when 
eventually when Pony Boy's back and he's asking others, he's like, well, why'd you go to Florida? And I think, is it Daryl? Do I have to spell it out for you? (laughs) And he says, they either had to get married or she had to go away to Florida for the summer. And they weren't going to let her get married (laughs) to Soda Pop because he's only 16. They weren't going to let her get married to Soda Pop. Yeah. And... Uh, Soda Pop, we find out later, even on, has like written a love letter, essentially like saying, please come back and I want to marry you. But then we're told this right. is his child. <laughs> like, okay, so like. This was definitely not in my seventh grade reading. It's, oh, well, it's I, so. I had no idea this was going on, I'm sure, in seventh grade. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really subtle it, it, the way that it happens. And it's, and it's, it would be easy for a seventh grade yeah. teacher to, to bypass that oh, without yeah. anyone asking a question. They don't want, yeah, no one's going to ask about it the way it's, it's presented in the book. So his girlfriend has gotten pregnant with, by sleeping with someone else. And we're told pretty much that right. Soda Pop never slept with her. <laughs> like, like, that's not who Soda Pop is when he's 16 years old. Uh, and, but he wants to take responsibility uh, but for the baby. He still loved he her so much her. that, that he would marry her and take responsibility for the baby. And this is just yet another instance for me in this book of, of loyalty. Like, at what is there a point where loyalty becomes damaging? Yeah. With, with Daryl going to this fight, I'd say yes. With Soda Pop, with this relationship, I don't know, like, what is the actual... Like, we, we are really given no insight into what the relationship is like. But clearly, she has betrayed whatever relationship yeah. he, Soda Pop thought he had with her. I mean, he, the night when he and Pony are are talking and he and soda pop is talking about sandy i mean he feels really deeply for her but there's only one way to get pregnant and and soda pop uh, wasn't responsible for it and so that's betrayal i mean talk about <laughs> loyalty and betrayal that's betrayal and he's willing to overlook it which also seems just kind of i don't know it seems it seems kind of naive i mean i wonder if mm-hmm. uh, this is totally not the conversation I thought we were going to have about this book, but, but I wonder if Soda Pop had, <laughs> let's say he's driving down the street and he looks out his window and he sees Sandy kissing a boy, if he would have that same loyal reaction that he has where he's told that she's pregnant and that she has to leave. Like, I wonder if he would process those two things in the same way, or if there's a chance that actually seeing her like in flagrante, right? <laughs> Um, you know, even, but, but something as innocent as, as kissing another boy, if he would have said, you know what, she's not faithful to me. And so I'm going to let her go. But the fact that whatever happened, uh, to get her pregnant happened behind closed doors and soda pop never actually saw it. If he's more willing to forgive it. I, I think so. Like when you say like, if he's driving down the street and he sees her kissing, my image of what would happen next is a fight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he would go beat the tar out of the guy, and his relationship with Sandy would be over. Like this sounds like his character. Mm-hmm. Like he needs, to, like he's loyal as long as he can forcefully imagine, you know, uh, the scenario in which it's still okay. And but like, or not not be faced with. Yeah, but if he's faced with it, like he will rail against it, but. It, but he'll accept it. But yeah, it's it's like an extreme forced loyalty. But the, the other example, though, of where loyalty, where we actually see that someone who finally says, you know what, this loyalty thing isn't all it's cracked up to be, is uh, what's the name of the the best friend of Bob? Randy, Randy. who does not go to the final fight. Uh, and yeah. he kind of says, if 
if I win, it would just be because there's a fight and the socias should all be there together. But this is all stupid. <laughs> he just says, he's like, I'm so tired of this. Um, and, and, and yeah. he's like, obviously life altering event, seeing his best friend killed and also seeing that his best friend was killing someone else. Like both of those were traumatic for him. Right. And he comes out of it saying, just doing this because this is what we do is so wrong. <laughs> And I'm done. I'm washing my hands of it. There's going to be a fight tonight with all the socias and I'm not going to be there. And, and he says, I'm going to be called a coward for this. And it's, it's going to destroy like his social life. And it's easy to like, as an adult processing this and looking at it and saying, well, he's making the right decision. But when you're in high school, like everything matters so much. <laughs> and, and like, you can't process that really, you know, months out of high school, it's going to be kind of like, why did that all matter so much? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they say that that you know that the brains of adolescents aren't fully developed, and that it really is hard for them to make <laughs> to make the right decisions all the time. And as an adult, it's like, oh, it's so obvious that what you're doing is messed up. But when you're in the moment, w- it, w- everything that you're doing makes total sense. And I think that um, I think that one thing that Hinton that she really captures well in this is that the kind of brain deaded nature, the brain dead nature of, <laughs> of adolescence and how they don't process things in logical ways. But at the same time, they can also have like, they can be intelligent. Like, like pony boy is smart. Uh, yeah. and he thinks about deep things. Like, it's not like they're just flakes, but uh-huh. the, the, the end result doesn't always seem like, this is the path that logical, thorough thinking would lead you to. Right. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, I have another question for you. The idea of the sunset and that, that that's the thing that they, that they keep coming back to. When, when uh, Ponyboy talks to Cherry, uh, he talks about the sunset and he talks about um, Randy and, and Bob and that Bob was also the kind of guy who would appreciate the sunset. Why the sunset? Why the sunset? Like, why do they bring that in? I mean, why that and not something else? To be that okay. kind of so touchstone. So it's, it's like the counterpoint to the repeated quote of "There's trouble all over." There's beauty all over, right? So there's the sunset, right? But why specifically the sunset uh, as that counterpoint? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's function. But what else do we get from the sun? Uh, well, does it? I mean, is it random? I mean, is, is it random? I don't think it's random. Like, I'm wondering. And I don't know S.E. Hinton's, like, religious foundation, if this would be relevant to it. But, like, there's a scripture about the sun rising and setting equally to the just and the unjust. Or, mm-hmm. you know, the righteous and the wicked. Or or whatever. And so, like, saying that there's good and bad all around. Like, there are things that are universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sunset... I mean, it, I'm, now I'm thinking that I may have read something somewhere, like... Like, appreciating a sunset is equal to the rich or the poor. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm wondering oh, yeah, if that's, that's, what... that's like, a, a, a thing from something else that she might be referencing. I don't know if that's in a poem or or a story somewhere. But, like, that could be something she's referencing without having to explain it. So, this New York Times article that I mentioned at the beginning, um, a lot of it... <laughs> the one that we... The one of <laughs> the dubious... Question. But, but it, <laughs> uh, it spends a chunk of the time just citing, like, all the other things that were present in culture that she is cribbing from pretty explicitly. Like direct lines that mm-hmm. she lifts from stories that would have been in popular culture very 
very prevalently uh, at her time. But, the, like, the end, though, is like saying, like, this is, like, we can point out these parts, but this story is better than some of these parts. And and they also, in the article, are kind of questioning, like, in our, like, hyper uh, reactions to any hint of plagiarism, are we maybe losing some really good stories uh, as young writers are figuring things out? And, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously young writers are going to be inspired by the stories and often when there's a first novel published or, and it becomes a big hit the, you know, there's quick accusations of, well, this is too close to this other thing. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, as right. he Hinton borrowed quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, we already made jokes about uh, Romeo and Juliet, but there's, uh, he, they had some of the exact lines that feel pretty yeah. darn close, but this is a story that stands up to that. So I would not be surprised at all. If like what you're saying, if there's this theme. Yeah. This theme, or, I mean, obviously there's a scripture reference, but if there was, you know, this other saying or, or the theme from another book that, that right. had ended up in here. But, I mean, like, there's nothing about a sunset that can be better appreciated because you're wealthy, I think. Even the, like, altitude from which you view it. I don't know. There's some locales that can be pretty nice from which to view a sunset. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, like, like the regular daily sunset. Yeah. You know, that you, if, especially for someone who says they like sunsets, they Mm -hmm. like seeing it every day. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely equal. equalizing the, ca- the class issues the same way that the, you know, the quote about the trouble is trying to equalize the class issues, saying this, this is all around. But uh, I think, Todd, what you're trying to dig into is, like, why specifically is the sun the thing that she chooses the positive version of the trouble? Yeah, I just, I've been thinking a lot about the idea of beauty and um, the, the idea that there are some things, I mean, I guess maybe the controversial idea uh, that there are some things that are just inherently beautiful that pretty much any human being that sees this thing uh, will say that is beautiful. Or at least human beings with certain sensitivities, with sensitivities towards the beautiful, right? Like, like in nature, anything with a golden mean, right? Yeah, right? Like that there are proportions or this, this all comes from the Greeks and then is is redone in the Renaissance, right? But that, like, the, the human form is is the ideal of beauty. This is Plato. Um, and that there's something just inherently beautiful about the human body and the way that it's proportioned that we have a, a positive reaction to it. Um, there are people in this book who don't appreciate the sunset. Um, not because the sunset's not beautiful, but because they just, they don't, they don't see it. Um, and it just, I don't know, this something like I have this nagging feeling in the back of my mind that there's something important about the, that yes, it's egalitarian and that anybody can appreciate the sunset because it's because the sun rises and sets on both the just and the unjust. But there's also something unique about certain individuals who are sensitive to beauty in ways that other individuals aren't. And that it, that doesn't have to do with their social class. It has to do with something else inside. It has to do with their soul. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. And I think also, like, using a sunset, I mean, obviously, there's the ending, uh, you know, the closing, uh, which we get the explicit ending of both the social and the greaser uh, in this. But there's also the sunset is, you know, the promise of the new day. Like, this is a chapter. It, it's not just the end of a life. It's, it can be the end of a chapter of a life. Uh, and it's cyclical, like this book is. Mm-hmm. Right, that this book is is the serpent that eats its tail. It, it begins and ends with the with the same line. And, uh, the sun rises and sets like that. And there's in, I, in a circular pattern. And and in the book, there's 
like as far as the cycles. So like we get this really extended period of uh, the focused one night of him meeting Cherry and this interaction with the socialists where, and then we get the week long sojourn in the hospital. And then there's this one bit of action where they rescue the kids. And then there's a week long stay in the hospital. It's a week, right? Or yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I think there's some repetition in times in uh, the way this time is used in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. So I, yeah, just saying it's, it's part of the cycle. Uh, But again, it's not the end meaning this is it. It's just the close of this part of the cycle, I think, is right. is definitely part of what's happening here. Oh, man, I know we have no time left, but there was one other thing that I want to talk about. So right now, it's the end of July uh, 2016, and there is a lot of discussion uh, going on about race and class and culture um, and politics, and we have an election coming up, and those those things are really at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Um, and I guess my broadest question is how does something like the outsiders inform or enter into the kinds of conversations that are going on right now, uh, about race and class in the United States in July, 2016. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing on that. <laughs> Ah, uh, I'm just trying to think of something that does not come off as a platitude. Because uh, on the one hand, <coughs> there is there is obviously I think there's obviously racism going on right now, right? Like, yeah, let's not. <laughs> and there there is a ton of racially charged and and class charged to some extent um, discourse. Well, and a lot and, of that discourse is historically and presently intertwined race and class. Yeah. Um, this book goes out of its way to challenge the notion of identity based on, uh, on, well, in this, in this case, class, right? So when I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the conversation between Randy and Ponyboy in the Blue Mustang, when, and then, and then Ponyboy leaves and Tubit makes some comment. Uh, he's a Soch and pony boy responds and says, he's not a Soch. Uh, he's just a guy. He just wanted to talk. And I just, I, I see that. I see that conversation playing out right now, (laughs) like on Facebook where somebody will say something like black lives matter. And then somebody else will come out and say, no, all lives matter. And then somebody else will say, if you say all lives matter, it's because you really hate black people. And then somebody else will say, uh, no, it's because I, I value all of human life. And, and it's, it's a really complicated thing in which if you, man, I don't know, but like we're dealing with really important ways in which people, uh, self-identify and also and, the ways that they're labeled by others and the way that they're labeled labeled by others. And that if somebody self identifies as something and you deny that self identification, then it seems like that's pretty frowned upon for the most part. But also there's a big push to not label people, you know, as anything and that we're all just humans and, 
I think it's really complicated. It's it's a hard thing for people to land on, uh, and it's certainly not new. Yes, <laughs> and I think uh, I think that maybe that's the the biggest takeaway from this is that, um, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and and that we we get so caught up in the moment sometimes, and people say. I mean, this is pretty dark times, right? Like we have two presidential candidates that are pretty much universally loathed (laughs) in uh, popularity. (laughs) Yeah. And, and there's, you know, like every day there's violent things happening all over the world. And there's a tendency to feel like, man, the world has never been as dark as it is today. Um, but if you go back in history, it's not hard to pick out <laughs> moments when things were really, really dark. <laughs> so, and but, okay, just a quick lighthearted version of this. I saw someone say, because we're having, like you said, we're having political conventions and there's an election and President Obama gave a speech and someone on Facebook had made the comment, he's the most divisive president in the history of the United States. And the first comment under it was, the country literally split in half when Lincoln was president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Like, and like, our present always feels like it's the most whatever. <laughs> like, yes. It, it, our present is always like we're feeling it more. The feelings are more <laughs> right now. Uh, and, but historically, everyone was having those same extreme feelings in their moment. Doesn't that feel adolescent though? I mean, like, there's something of <laughs> like talking about the outsiders and having a kind of a skewed view of the present. I mean, like. We're adults, right? Yeah. We would never engage in, in that kind <laughs> that of behavior. Kind of bias? What? And, yeah, reasoning? Yeah, like, you know, this kind of presentism where we, uh, where we elevate the present and we magnify all of the, all of the bad things that are happening now to a point to say, you know, the world has never been as divided. It's never been as bad as it is today. Um, and I, I don't know. I, man, I love a book. That when I read it, I finish it, I put it down, I think about, you know, one sentence like he ain't a soch, he's just a guy. And I'm able to connect that with stuff that's going on right now. And it just, it can occupy my mind for days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just kind of working my way through this. And I hope, I don't know. I just think that in a situation that's so emotionally charged, it's hard for me to say anything without, you know, m- making somebody really mad. And that's really not what I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to say it's interesting that this book that was written in 1967 brings up a lot of the stuff that we're struggling with right now as humans. And and I think it's this is the reason why we read this kind of stuff. <laughs> Because it forces us to think about things and to see the world from a point of view that maybe isn't our own. And maybe you read that thing and you go, huh, that makes me think about stuff. And then you think about that stuff and you end up sitting back on the same policy or or opinion that you had initially. But I think there's value in having gone through the journey. Well, and I, just real quick as a final thought, when you were talking about um, this tendency to – like identify ourselves in a certain way or to give labels to others or, or perceive others with a certain label, and, you know, that's simplifying in a lot of ways. And I think one thing this book does really well is to show that even that self-identification can be contradictory, right? So yeah. we mentioned at the beginning, like pony boy self identifies as a greaser. He calls himself a greaser through and through like multiple times in the book, but he 
does not conform <laughs> to a lot of what the greaser identity is. Um, even as that's what he's, his like performative identity, uh, that, that he's showing to the world is his internal monologue that we're privy to as readers isn't as greaser. Right. Uh, and you know, that whole sequence with, uh, you know, he's, he's not a so she's just a guy, you know, the, he was doing this performative identity of a so but events in his life changed that identity. <laughs> um, but in reality, he probably never was all that we think, you know, that the greaser start socials were. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just would, I hope that, that, as one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because I really hope that we can help people to, to think, you know, think about these kinds of things and, and that art and literature, uh, has potential to really make us reflect on some really important things. And, and whether that changes, you know, you this isn't a book that's designed to turn Republicans into Democrats or Democrats into Republicans. It's a book that is written to make people think about identity and class in a little bit more sophisticated ways than they have. And, and I think we're all better off <laughs> if everybody does that. You know why I do this podcast, Todd? So for the money. For all the money so I can raise my kids like socias. <laughs> Keep that Amazon money come pouring in because we're just we're like Scrooge McDuck in the in the down in his basement swimming in the in the gold coins. You know what I want for my kids? Whatever they want with no consequences. Yes. <laughs> don't tell if there's them. There's one no. thing that we've learned from the this: is no. don't ever tell your children the word no because it it destroys their brains. <laughs> that was a while back in this episode <laughs> and before a lot of this deep discussion. Well, listeners, on that point, I think we're going to have to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast and iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are all available at protagonistpodcast.com, including that New York Times article that I never referenced the title of, nor the author. You'll find the link there, though. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows, and you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. And we're all also on Twitter at protagonist pod at Todd K Mac at Jay Dorowski and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. And that is where the best discussion takes place after these episodes. So please go like that page and join in. We love all of the comments that come. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or give a lower donation just to give us a little appreciation. You can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And also all of our patrons receive our undying gratitude. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon, and it costs you nothing more, but we get a little bit of money from Amazon for you using that link. And do not forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and next week we'll be back to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long.
All right. Uh, listeners, this is a book you should read. If you've never read it or if you haven't read it since seventh grade, just go and read it because you don't remember <laughs> what it was. You don't remember anything from seventh grade. And guess what? You're going to get a lot more out of it as an adult. <laughs> We should, we should do a light in the forest next. I don't know that story. What? That's another one I read in seventh grade that I don't remember anything. It's one about the, the, the white boy that's captured by Native Americans. Is that what it's called? Because I, I, that... I think about that book periodically. I, don't I, didn't think I, that called, I think it's called The Light in the Forest. I did not think that was the, the name of the book. You want us to do a captivity narrative? <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I thought it was called those, like, those are pretty loaded politically. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's another seventh grade novel that yeah, I read. Okay. At Lake uh, Singularity. We could do Singularity. Oh, Singularity. That would be I one. never read either of those. We definitely had different seventh grade teachers. I've never uh, read Singularity. Never read. John told me about Singularity. Captivity. Singularity yeah. is a weird book. Uh, it's a weird. I, I think we talked about it on book. this podcast. I do not I, enjoy yes. Singularity. It's been recorded. <laughs> this discussion, <laughs> but yeah, I still haven't read it <laughs> since that last time. Okay. All right. Can we close well, out? I gotta go to bed. Yeah. I gotta go eat. Joseph dinner. probably needs it the most. Oh boy, I gotta teach uh, early 20th century African American literature. Do you want to do an outro? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> that wraps up this episode. <laughs> I have no idea where you were making the cut, Andrew. <laughs> There's no smooth transition for me. one hour. <laughs> anywhere in the last 20 minutes, all of a sudden it's just gonna be quiet. In. Oh man, <laughs> that wraps up this episode. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. On that point, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. Why? That means that was universal. You can put that after anything. Todd's going to say, wait, I know we're low on time, but I do have one more question. On that point, we're going to wrap I was up. I just trying to give you a universal segue to work with. I'm going to do oh, it. Oh, man. Here's your segue. That was awesome. <laughs>